The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. Swung on, long drive, right field, and this one belongs to the rest. UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, an in-depth look at the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Indians. For the fifth consecutive year, we examine the teams and their progress throughout the baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Five more days to go before the trade deadline hits, and the Reds were the first team to do something. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along this evening as we come to you for our fifth consecutive year talking about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. The Reds, they made their first trade. The Indians turned down one today. The Larry Doby statue went up in front of Progressive Field on Saturday, and Colin Coward lost his job at ESPN and maybe his job at Fox. All that coming up on tonight's show, but before we get to all that, we've got to go down south and bring in our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue, to talk about what the Reds are doing. And Mark, today the Reds made a roster move. They brought up catcher Kyle Skipworth, and he took the place on the roster of some guy named Cueto. <laughs> yeah, they. Uh, have you checked out his numbers? Uh, no. Well, hitting about 220 in Class AA, he did, he did have five home runs in five consecutive games, so I guess he has some power. But uh, this, I think, is a, a precursor to Pena being traded, and the Reds are going to go young. And it, I tell you, Dave, it's going to get ugly between now and the end of the year. Yesterday's loss to Colorado, 17-7. to You'll see that again soon. Well, that's a that's a game that the Bengals probably would have been proud to win. But Skipworth's totals, Mark, that puts him in the category of being able to play for the Indians. Yeah, it's uh, we've been talking about this all year, and uh, I'm not sure. I would say we're a little more than casual fans. We have to do our homework on the organizations to be able to talk about them. But I'm not sure the casual fan understands how how dire it is with the Reds, and the fact that this organization by virtue of a ridiculous no cap in Major League Baseball, has to sell off its assets, and that's that's players. And um, certainly you can blame the front office for some of the dumb deals they've done uh, with Joey Votto and Homer Bailey and Brandon Phillips and others, but it's, it's ridiculous when you have a guy like Cueto and you've got to trade him off because you can't afford him. And why baseball doesn't have a salary cap, I'll never know. Mark, that's a very interesting point because as far as I'm concerned, if there was a salary cap in baseball, the Cleveland Indians would never come close to even touching it. And I think to go with a salary cap, you've got to have a basement cap, which means the teams have to spend over a certain amount on their payroll for the players, but they can't go above a certain amount, and I think that would make things more competitive as far as Major League Baseball is concerned, because I'm telling you, Mark, the Indians, they don't want to spend money. They have absolutely no interest in spending money. They have absolutely no interest in improving this ball club. I firmly believe that, Mark. They have no interest in improving this ball club. If they did, they would have made better deals throughout the last couple of years. Their only interest is to bring as many fannies into the seats 
for the least amount of money as possible. First things first, and, and to show what I mean, is the babysitting corner that I call it, where they put in the new corner. The Indians didn't spend any money on that. They didn't spend any money on that bar that they put in called the corner, and right next door, the babysitting area where kids come in, drop off their kids, and then go next door. And I make a joke about it. They get hammered and then drive drunk home. They didn't put any money into that. It was the taxpayers of Cuyahoga County that did that with the renewal for improvements to Progressive Field and also Quicken Loans Arena. It's unfair to the people of Cleveland, Mark. They're being taxed, but they aren't being given a competitive product on the field as far as the Indians are concerned. I think it's just unfair. I agree with you. There should be a salary cap, but there should be a basement cap also. I agree, and every salary cap that's in place in football and basketball, it has a basement. They have to spend so much, and I think that would be obvious that they'd have to do something like that. Uh, but it's it's also should be noted that we can we can blame the salary cap or lack thereof for for a team like the Reds. So how do you explain then the St. Louis Cardinals and the Kansas City Royals? They are in, in commensurate-sized cities with much, much better teams, and they did that by selecting talent effectively during the draft, making good trades, having well-run baseball operations. And, and don't forget, you've got to separate baseball operations from the business side, like the, the, the marketing side. The Reds did a great job, like at the All-Star game. But somewhere in that organization... There's somebody making decisions about player personnel, and whoever that is, whoever is managing that process, whether it's uh, the general manager, the ownership, or a combination, scouts, that, that, that chief scout, whoever it is, they have been making horrible decisions the last four or five years, just ridiculous decisions in how they grade and value players, both on the field and monetarily. And that is what has led to this uh, this sell-off that's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. And the Reds have every opportunity in the world now to be the worst team in baseball this year and get a number one draft pick. And I just wonder if that's what they're trying to do. Well, they're in a race with the Indians if that's what they're trying to do because the Reds are 43-53 and 53 overall in the season right now. The Indians are 45-52. and 52. That may seem like a better record, Mark. But when you look at the standings, the Reds are in fourth place in a better division. 19 games behind St. Louis. They're 10 games behind in the wild card chase. Effectively, the Reds are out of it. The Indians are 14 games behind Kansas City and in last place in the central division of the American League. And they're six and a half games behind in the wild card chase. But they've got seven teams, Mark, to go over to even get into the last spot for the wild card spot, they're out of it also. I don't want to hear the Indians this week, Mark Shapiro and Chris Antonetti, come out and say, well, gosh, we don't know if we're buyers or sellers. Just look at the standings, Mark. You're sellers. Get rid of some of this so-called talent that you've got. The Reds yesterday made the first fire. They made the first salvo. They traded Johnny Cueto to the Royals for three lefties, 25-year-old John Lamb, another left-hander, 22-year-old Brandon Finnegan, and then another left-hander, 22-year-old Cody Reed, whom Baseball America, Mark, says he may be 
the sleeper of the deal. And yesterday, after the Reds finalized that deal, Reds GM Walt Jockety spoke about the trade and said it was tough to deal Cueto. You know, we're in a situation where it was, this is the best thing for our franchise now. we got three left-handed pitchers, quality left-handed pitchers that um, we think very highly of. Uh, it was tough for Kansas City to give all three up, but we finally uh, were able to do that. There was a lot of interest obviously, in Johnny, and we felt that this was the uh, the best value uh, we could get for now. So uh, Johnny's going into a great situation there. He has people that he'll know. Um, he's got uh, a team that's got a chance to go to the World Series. And as I told him, hopefully he gets a chance to pitch in the World Series and, and then uh, see what happens. Well, he definitely gets a chance to pitch in the World Series this year, doesn't he, Mark, with Kansas City? Well, maybe. You know, it all depends. You have to get they have to. I'm sure they're won their division and get into the playoffs. But the reason Johnny Cueto is there is to get them into the World Series. And if he doesn't, then this trade is not going to be look, looking very good for Kansas City. Now, I heard an interesting comment uh, on the Reds broadcast about the fact that Johnny Cueto really did not want to leave this organization and that the Reds did not want him to leave. And what has happened over the last several years that many a free agent has thrown out some some huge numbers to start the negotiations. And Johnny Cueto is looking for, I understand, $175 million over seven years. If that's the case, what happens if he doesn't get it? could have a Kyle Loesch situation all over again. Yeah, exactly. And you could have a situation where Johnny Cueto, despite the best efforts of his uh, his agent, is not able to garner that kind of money. And how how far down does it go in terms of dollars? What what if it's 110 million or 120 million for even 5 years? Would the Reds then step up and be players again? Because I I think the Reds would probably win all ties. In other words, if if three teams come up with $125 million, of which one is the Reds, uh, Johnny Cueto might decide, because of personal reasons, he'd rather come back to the Reds. And then it becomes a great deal for the Reds, because they've got him below market, plus they got three great left-hand pitchers, or not great, but very good ones, uh, to help their organization. And, and that is not... Impossible. It's not far-fetched. It, it could happen just given the market for pitchers. And don't forget, at the end of the, his contract, if he, if he signs a seven-year deal, Johnny's going to be 37 years old. And I just wonder what the market's going to be for a power-pitching right-hander uh, at 37 years old. you get willing to pay that guy $22, 23000000 million a year in the, in the last year of his contract or the last two years. I, I don't know. Well, what was really strange about this entire deal, Mark, was that the Reds and Royals thought they had a deal made on Saturday night. Matter of fact, Michael Lorenzen went out and started warming up the bullpen at Coors Field in Colorado because he was told that Cueto was dealt. But then, at the last moment, the trade fell apart about an hour and a half before game time, and the Reds went ahead and did a very strange thing. They went ahead and they started Cueto, even though they were this close to making a deal to the Royals with him. And Jockety, he went into detail about why the Reds did that afterwards. If we hadn't done it and we didn't get the deal done, um, uh, deal done today or yesterday, 
you know, I don't know what we see. Somebody would speculate something's wrong. So the best thing to do is go out and let them pitch. I don't know, Mark. If you're worried about the media and the fans speculating that something was wrong with Johnny Cueto or even another team speculating something was wrong, I think you could explain that in a phone call. But to go out and give him the opportunity to get himself injured and blow the whole deal, that's taking a lot into consideration. Yeah, and I don't know if people noticed that. I think it was in the fifth or sixth inning of that game that Cueto pitched. He swung at a pitch and hurt his hand, his right hand. And he was shaking it real violently, like, as if maybe he had broken a finger or something. Now, he came out and pitched the seventh and eighth innings and was fine. But Chris Welsh made the comment. He said, right now, as we look at Johnny Cueto, shake his hand there. Uh, there's a lot of people at the front office holding their breath. Because had that it, had an injury occurred and they put Cueto out there, that deal fell through. I mean, that, I would have fired uh, the, the front office... <laughs> Uh, oh, Jock- well, that's all Walt Jockety needed. Yeah, and, and Jockety would have been gone that second, and he probably was holding his breath, I guarantee it. Well, what the Reds got was a 25-year-old lefty in John Lamb who has had a 2.67 ERA with nine strikeouts per nine innings and 17 starts for AAA Omaha. Finnegan has made seven starts this year and four relief appearances in A and AA ball. And then Cody Reed... This kid must be a, phys- a physical specimen, Mark. He's 6'5", 220 pounds. He was their second-round pick in 2013 out of Northwest Mississippi Community College. In 15 starts and three relief appearances this year, split between high A and double A, he's posted a 2.53 ERA with eight strikeouts per nine innings. And like I said, J.J. Cooper of Baseball America calls him the sleeper in this deal. So when you look at this, three lefties, no everyday players, no hitters in the deal for Johnny Cueto. Is it more than you expected, about what you expected, or less than what you expected? Well, I wanted them to get Raul Mondesi from Kansas City, even up, uh, their number one (laughs) draft choice, and that wasn't going to happen. So I think based on what has happened this year, and, and the Reds have no left-handers in the minor leagues of any of any note, uh, they don't have any. They're, they're going to lose probably a couple left-handers off the 40-man roster, and yeah, I think it's a pretty good haul given the situation. Uh, the people in Kansas City—that's what I always look to. Uh, they're they're very very happy to have Johnny Cueto because that team came within a few outs of winning the World Series last year. And they think that, you know, Cueto will be the difference maker. And, and they're probably right. But they admit they gave up a lot. And if we're, if Cueto were to get hurt or they don't re-sign him or they don't win the World Series, uh, that trade may come back and haunt them for years to come. Because I think the Reds did pretty well, given the circumstances, uh, given the fact that this is a two-month rental for a player. Uh, I, I think Cincinnati did pretty well on this trade. Well, the Indians, on the other hand, they just continue to turn down deals. Now, there was a deal supposedly all ready to go this morning, Mark, where Carlos Carrasco was going to the Blue Jays. Nobody is disclosing what the Indians would have gotten back in return. But just before that deal was set to go down, something went awry, and both teams called the deal off, and they said they are not going to revisit it 
before the trade deadline. So Carrasco will stay with the Indians, and he stays under their control until the year 2020, Mark. So what that means is the only players that are really being rumored as far as being traded by the Indians are Ryan Rayburn and David Murphy. Now, David Murphy supposedly is being coveted by the Los Angeles Angels. Murphy, as far as I'm concerned, is the only hitting asset the Indians have to trade away. Ryan Rayburn, I would practically give him away for just about anything. But there really is nothing on the horizon, Mark. The Indians have pretty much come out and said that they do not want to get rid of their core players. They don't want to get rid of their core pitchers, which are their five pitchers right now in the starting rotation, except for the fact that everybody keeps calling about Carlos Carrasco. Now, Carrasco has been rumored to be going not only to the Blue Jays, but the Dodgers would like to talk to the Indians about him. The Red Sox would like to talk to the Indians about him. There was a rumored trade that I found almost impossible to believe on Saturday with Puig coming from the Dodgers to the Indians straight up for Carrasco. And until I knew that Cueto was in the mix to go to Kansas City, I found that trade to be almost impossible to believe. But after Cueto was going to Kansas City, it made more sense to me that the Dodgers would come after Carrasco. But I just can't see the Dodgers, even though you and I have discussed it, Mark, I can't see them getting rid of Puig. Well, I think the dangling participle with the Reds is going to be Jay Bruce. And then you have lingering in the background, although I heard now that they may try to re-sign him, is Mike Leake. Now, the real long shot uh, is going to be what they do with Aroldis Chapman. And apparently the Indian, or the Yankees had made a, a bid for Chapman, but they said that the, the asking price was, in their opinion, ridiculous. I don't know who they would give up. Uh, I don't know how anything could be ridiculous. When you look at the Yankee roster, the entire Yankee roster, who wouldn't you trade even up for Chapman? Oh, that that uh, that is a good question. Unless, um, asking, unless the Reds are asking for three or four players, you know, for Chapman, which I can't believe they would do. Unless, but, unless Mark, unless now throw this into the mix, maybe it's somebody that the Reds are asking the Yankees to take along with Chapman that is putting the kibosh to that deal. And that might be Brandon Phillips. Uh, That's what I'm thinking. So you, you have Brandon Phillips and Chapman, and you send them to the Yankees. Who do you get back? Well, I know you've talked about Brett Gardner. Yeah, that, that's been that's been rumored. But the Reds, you know, they need a left fielder. You have to put Brett Gardner in left field, and he would be a good addition for the Reds because he gets on base a lot. But they're not going to trade Brett Gardner when they're in the middle of a pennant race at this point. I mean, he's too valuable to the team. If in chemistry, if nothing else. So I'm not sure that the best trading partner, but, uh, you know, I, I still think that the Dodgers are the best trading partner for the Reds for either Leak and or Chapman and even Brandon Phillips. They've got a great uh, minor league system. Uh, they have guys on their major league roster that could help the Reds. So, but, you know, I if I had to put money on it, I would say the Reds are going to hold on to Chapman. He, he is such a draw. And if you get rid of him and you get get rid of Cueto and you get rid of Bruce, who are you going to go watch? Well, has this trade for the three lefties, for Cueto, 
just pretty much ended any possibility of Aroldis Chapman being a starter? Well, apparently. I mean, uh, the, all three of those guys can can start. And like you, I heard this this Cody Reed is a, is a monster. Now, this dude is he's he's tough on the mound. But the most talented is apparently this Brandon Finnegan, who pitched in the World Series last year, and he was he was their number two prospect, and I think he was number what number nine overall or something like that in, in all of baseball last year. So the Reds got some real talent here, and but if you you know they seem to have this pendulum swing that all they do is sign pitchers, and these three guys I think are pretty good pitchers. They're good pitchers. They're not great pitchers, and that's what the Reds have on their on their roster now. They have a lot of good pitchers. None of them are great, and if they trade Leak, <laughs> if they trade Leak, and they don't get a starting pitching core going into next year, their starting rotation, they're going to get hammered. They're going to get killed. And if you if you think Homer Bailey is going to be your number one pitcher coming off of Tommy John. He, he's not going to be ready till May or June. What are you going to do for the first two months of the year? Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be extremely rough unless they go completely youth oriented with Stevenson and Lorenzen and probably Singrani. You got you know they're going to be now that I'm thinking about it. This pitching staff next year could be left hand dominant. It could be left hand dominant. But before I forget it, would you take uh, give us Carrasco for Jay Bruce? You know, it's funny you bring that up. I was talking with Greg Mitchell this morning, our producer, and I said I would almost make that deal. And I've told you over the last two or three weeks, I think Jay Bruce is the most intriguing trade piece that the Reds have because of that contract that he's got. He's under contract for another two years, and the second year, Mark, has a buyout of $1 million, which is almost nothing. So if you bring him in, for next year, or even now, you've got him under contract for the next two years. If he has a poor season next year, you can just buy out the contract the following year for a million bucks. You're not on the hook for the thirteen million that the contract is for. He's the most intriguing piece I think the that the the Reds have. But unfortunately, here we go again. As much as it makes sense for the Indians to make a deal like that, Mark, it's not going to happen. Because this guy, Jay Bruce, I'm talking about, makes double digits. And they will not sign anybody that makes double digits as far as millions of dollars are concerned. So Jay Bruce is out of the running for the Indians as far as I'm concerned. Well, there's another issue, though, that that I think you have to admit is true. There is no trade that Cincinnati or Cleveland could make that makes the respective team competitive. They'd have to make they'd have to make twenty deals to make these teams competitive. I mean, we're talking about two last place teams here, or close to it, and a Jay Bruce going to Cleveland is not going to improve them this year for certain. He's not going to improve them marginally next year. They would need to go out and make four or five deals, and that's not going to happen. So Jay Bruce, I think, has far more value to a contending team this year, and a contending team this this year. Uh, then they're, they're going to have for uh, a player that, like the Reds picked up these three guys, they're looking three years out where these guys can help. And so, you know, the Reds are going to lose close to 100 games this year. 
They're going to lose close to 100 games next year, and it's going to be ugly. And I think Cleveland is actually further ahead than the Reds in terms of their total 40-man roster because I think they have more talent in that in, in that grouping than the Reds do. And, see, I, I disagree with that totally. I, I think as far as the pitching is concerned, yes. As far as everyday ball players are concerned, no. I don't believe that there is a a, a, a talent glut that the Reds ha- or that the Indians have over the Reds right now. And, and like you said, the Indians have hit rock bottom. They are just absolutely terrible right now. They are in last place. They've lost seven of their last ten. They went one and five last week. They lost four straight to the White Sox, Mark. In a series where the White Sox came in and couldn't score a run over the previous two weeks, and the White Sox outscored the Indians 26-5 to in that four-game set. It was just abysmal. And I've got to ask you this question. When do people start holding Chris Antonetti and Mark Shapiro accountable for what's going on on the field? When is Terry Francona going to start to be held accountable for what's going on on the field? About the same time they start holding Walt Jockety responsible, which apparently they don't. Apparently, there must be something going on internally with that organization where it is Bob Castellini, in fact, making the calls on these trades and who, who to trade, who not to trade, etc. And that's the only explanation because if you, if you look at it logically and with your ownership as well, they must be – if you are the owner – and you are dictating who tr- gets traded and who doesn't, and that's one of the rumors that, that Bob is just very much hands-on, then you can't, in fact, blame your GM if you screw up. The same with the Indians. Who, Where is the buck stopping? Is it stopping with the GM, who may want to do certain things, or is it the ownership saying, no, you can't do those things you want to do? And until you know that, you really can't, blame one or the other until you know who's making the decision. Well, the the general consensus is it is Paul Dolan that is stopping Antonetti and Shapiro from doing things. You know, Shapiro, I went over the comments that he made over a week ago, Mark, on another show, that the Indians are a small market team. And I beg to differ with Mr. Shapiro on that. How can you have two teams, two other professional teams in the Browns and the Cavaliers, Dan Gilbert, the owner of the Cavaliers, is spending more than the than the Indians are on their payroll for 15 guys on the roster than the Indians are for 40 men on their roster. He's also going to spend twice as much in the luxury cap tax because he's over the salary cap limit in the NBA than the Indians have in their entire payroll as far as their 40-man roster is concerned. The Browns are doing the same thing. They're $20 million under the salary cap, but their salary is $100 million a year for for 16 games, Mark, eight games at home. Now, yes, there's a difference in the television packages. I understand that. But as far as Mark Shapiro coming out, and for 20 years now, Mark, 20 years... Mark Shapiro has claimed poverty. 
constantly claiming poverty as far as the Indians are concerned. Now, Dick Jacobs and John Hart never did. They never claimed poverty. Dick Jacobs wanted 8% return on his money every year. After that, John Hart was allowed to spend anything he wanted. It was a well-known fact. They never even hit it. That Dick Jacobs wanted 8% every year. Period. End of story. After that, sky was the limit. And back in the 90s, Mark, and in the early 2000s, the Indians' payroll was upwards of 85 to $95 million. Back then, that was a lot of money. Today, not so much. Back then, a lot of money. And this team won and won and won. These guys don't know what a winning franchise is. Shapiro and Antonetti, they've won one division in 2007. They've made the playoffs twice, 2007 and in 2013. And it took a miraculous finish for them to win that, that year in 2013. But you cannot continue to tell your fans that we're going to bring you in and put fannies in the seats with a bar in the right field section called the corner, dollar dog night 42 nights a year out of 81, and fireworks every other night. You just cannot. You know, Mark, I could sit at home. I figured it up today. If I spend $35 on two tickets to go see an Indians game, that's 70 bucks. If I buy three or four hot dogs... I'm tied up now for about $75, $76. Say a couple of beers, I'm close to 100 bucks. Mark, I could go to the store, listen to the game on the radio, grill out a 10-pack of hot dogs on my grill in the backyard, and set off fireworks in my backyard, and I'm ahead by about $85. Why go to the game? Well, that, that's... That's what I have seen when I go down to, to see Cincinnati play. And I don't know what the Reds are going to draw this year. It'll be under $3 million. It'll be above $2 million. But I, I don't understand the math relative to these major league teams by not seeing what you can do on a return if you put people in the seats and you win. It's 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 fascinating how they analyze their own financial model and make a conclusion that they're going to be better off trading Jay Bruce, Johnny Cueto, Aroldis Chapman, Marlon Bird, uh, Pena, uh, Brandon Phillips, all, and suddenly say, okay, now, now we're going to be good. We're going to draw a lot of people. Well, no, you won't. You'll draw fewer people, obviously. Uh, you're not going to draw anybody into that stadium after July 30th, as opposed to bring, going out and getting players to make yourselves competitive. Uh, you know, the Indians were, what, four games out two weeks ago? Yes. I, I mean, what can you be thinking? Well, I, that's, a, that's a question that I've asked about the Indians' front office now for years. What are you thinking? And I've never been able to get but a Dave, good answer out of Dave, it. These are not stupid guys. There's there's things we don't understand about that balance sheet, uh, about the returns on equity, cash on cash, uh, tax advantage situations where you can depreciate players. All those things go into the equation. And the article I read just before we went on the air was a scout talking about the Reds said, uh, they asked one of the Reds' front office guys, is Jay Bruce available? And they said, anything to save money. 
Now, if that's if that's truly true, if that's what was said, and Jay Bruce, who said 198 home runs, the Reds brought him up same time they brought up Cueto, and they got to get rid of these two guys because they can't afford him. Well, Johnny Cueto and and Jay Bruce this year together only made 22 million. They can afford yeah. him. You know, they, it wasn't the fact they can't afford him. It's the fact that they overpaid for other players is the reason they can't afford them. But, Mark, there, therein lies the problem. I, I understand what you're saying, that these guys are not stupid people, and I agree with you. But you and I have sat here on the five years that we've done this show, and we have thrown out such obvious players that the Reds and the Indians both have signed other players for more money or the comparable amount of money than the players that we wanted, and they turned out to be wrong, and we were right. First, of, I mean, first and foremost was Nelson Cruz. The Reds went out and got Ryan Ludwig. The Indians go out and get David Murphy. And who's leading the American League in home runs right now or close to the top? Nelson Cruz. And you could have had him for 7 or $8 million a year ago. Either team could have. And they ended up spending the same amount of money on Ryan Ludwig and just a million dollars less on David Murphy. That's, that's just one of many of the players that we've discussed, Mark, that the Indians and the Reds could have had and they didn't go after and they went after somebody else. What about Scott Casimir, for crying out loud, Mark? Scott Casimir is another one. The Indians bring him in, hits the only guy that they've hit on, taking a flyer on. And he had a good year for the Indians back in 2013. He wanted $11 million a year. The Indians offered nine. They couldn't come to a happy medium. He goes and signs with Oakland. And quite honestly, you know, two weeks ago, Houston picked up Casimir from Oakland. And I think that's the steal of the trade deadline, Scott Casimir. I think he's going to be an outstanding pitcher for Houston. But the Indians, hey, I didn't think that Casimir was worth $11 million either. But I'm not being paid the big bucks like Antonetti is, to go out and sign guys and bring guys in that are going to be talented. And Mark, he's a left-hander. The Indians don't even have a lefty in their rotation right now. Dave, my, my explanation for that goes back to the evaluation of talent made internally by teams. Now, we look at Nelson Cruz. Just use, use him as an example. Both the Reds and the Indians could have used him the last two years, and they didn't sign him. Now, the reason they didn't sign him, ostensibly what I heard was because he had been on steroids. Okay, So the Orioles signed him last year, and he hit, what, 45 home runs. They could have had him for the same money as Ryan Ludwig. Now, if you and I can see that, and most other baseball experts can see that, that he would have been an, a, a great addition to both teams, they must think that they can't win even if they sign him. That's the only explanation. How in the world could the Reds even think that they couldn't win? They came close to winning without him. That's, that, he isn't going to destroy that team. Well, of course not. That, that's when I, when I say it's the decision-making on player personnel, on player talent. That is the weakness of this organization. Somebody in the Reds organization said, hey, I've got a good idea. Let's sign Joey Votto to a $225 million 10-year contract. I think that's really cool. Now, Joey Votto is having a good year. Not a great year. He's hitting 300. He's got 19 home runs and 48 RBIs. That's a, that's a nice year. 
for a guy making nine million, not twenty-two million. So when they make these decisions, like on Homer Bailey, somebody said to Walt Jockety, "You know, Walt, I think we ought to sign Homer Bailey for a hundred and five million dollars for seven years, even though he's barely above five hundred, and let's let Cueto walk." What? Are you yeah. are you insane? Why didn't they sign Bailey to a three-year contract or let him walk and take that money and put it toward Johnny Cueto? That's a decision. Yeah. That That is somebody making a, a talent decision that makes no sense at all. Mark, don't you long for the days when you're thinking about this, long for the days of Dick Wagner? And I say that rather facetiously, but realistically... That's the kind of guy that the Reds needed because what did what what's Dick Wagner remembered the most for? Two moves: firing Sparky Anderson and letting Pete Rose walk to Philadelphia. How about trading uh, Tony Perez? Same, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, there's all kinds of things that that happen. As a matter of fact, wasn't uh, Bob Housen still a GM when uh, Perez was traded? I may have been. No, I think it was Dick Wagner. It was the first trade that Dick Wagner made. Okay, well, I know. And I think they thought they were going to lose Dreesen, yeah. Danny Dreesen, because he had such an outstanding series in '76 against the New York Yankees at the DH spot. Well, again, you can make all the arguments you want about uh, where the money should go and all that stuff, but it boils down to evaluating talent. And the Reds have made some just incredible blunders. In the, in the drafting of, of players, uh, the, the slow rise of players, players coming up here and just not being what everybody thought they were going to be. Do you remember the hubbub when they brought up Jay Bruce? He was, Jay Bruce was the number one player in minor league baseball. I think the Reds brought him up in, what, 2007? Something like that? Something like that. And for the first two months, he just tore the league up. And since then, he's about a lifetime 240 hitter. He's got some power. He's had 198 home runs in that period of time. But has he ever ascended to what people thought he was going to be, which was going to be a Mike Trout? He was supposed to be the Reds' Mike Trout. He's not even close. No, not, not anywhere near he's it. He's not even near it. So somebody made an evaluation. They made an evaluation on Joey Votto that we're going to pay him a whole bunch of money. Devin Mezzarocco, he has one good year, and they're starting to a four-year contract for a whole you bunch know, Mark, of money. And, Mark, another thing that you and I have discussed as far as, as far as these guys not being very smart, and that's going to lead into a conversation that we'll have here in just a few minutes and Colin Coward. But, you know, you talk about these guys and you wonder, you know, what is going through their head. Hey, the Indians spent $5 million dollars after two injury-riddled seasons, signing Grady Sizemore again. Didn't work. Gavin Floyd, $5 million for two years. He's out again with another arm injury. I, I forget the name now off the top of my head two years ago that they brought in the right-handed pitcher that they gave $7 million to for two years. They're finally done paying him off. He didn't pitch what, but one game for the Indians, and then he was done for the rest of his career. Right there, Mark... Out of those three players, you've got $17 million that you could have given to somebody, like a 
I, remember how hot I was on Yanis Cespedes? How much I wanted the Indians to sign this kid out of Cuba? And what the A's paid for him? $10 million a year for four years? He's been a bargain. He'd have been great in the Indians' lineup. But no, they couldn't even spend $10 million on this kid because they had to give $7 million to the Gavin Floyds of the world and another $5 million for nothing for Grady Sizemore. It's, the Indians are a charity organization. That's what they are. Well, I heard a comment this morning, which I, I, I said almost the same thing a couple of weeks ago, that the next, starting yesterday with the trade with Cueto, up until the trade deadline, are going to be the most important six days in the history of the Reds over the next five to six years. Because the decisions they make, I mean, you ask, are these guys they signed, the Reds signed, or, or got in the Cueto trade, are they going to be any good? We don't know. They better be, because they traded away their number one pitcher, and if these guys become good, you're going to have to pay them someday. You know, but... The decisions, we as Reds fans, and obviously as Indians fans too, but it's more emphasized with the Reds. They've got assets they can trade off. And you brought it up a couple of weeks ago. When you asked rhetorically, okay, Mark, the Reds can trade Chapman, they can trade Cueto, they can trade Leak, and they can trade Bruce. Let's say, look at the big four. They have an opportunity to get back 10 to 12 players that are real good, that could really change this organization. But you asked me the question, Mark, do you trust Walt Jockety and his organization to go make those trades? Well, we have no choice. This is it. The next five days will determine what the Reds are going to be like over the next five years. So if they screw up, uh, it's going to be a scary situation because if these three pitchers don't come through, and what you get for Chapman or for Bruce or for Leak or for Brandon Phillips, if those guys aren't stars, and I mean stars, this team could be in last place for the next six to ten years. And I fully anticipate the Indians will probably be there for the next couple of years, even with the outstanding pitching that they have. Because I, I look at this front office, Mark, with Shapiro and Antonetti and, and even the, the owner, Paul Dolan, they are a reactionary front office, not a proactive front office. And that brings me to what the Indians did this weekend, Mark. And I am very, very happy that the Indians honored Larry Doby, who followed Jackie Robinson as the second Negro ball player to play in Major League Baseball. He was three months after Jackie Robinson came up with the Dodgers on April 15, 1947, and on July 5, 1947, Larry Doby debuted with the Indians. He played with them from 1947 through 1955, came back in 1958. He played in six All-Star games and was enshrined into the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown in 1998. He died on June 18, 2003, and the Indians on Saturday finally erected a statue in honor of Larry Doby out in front of Progressive Field. And Cleveland Indians owner Paul Dolan spoke about Larry Doby being the first African-American to play in the American League. This impact on this franchise goes beyond wins and stats. Um, 
He integrated us in 1947. That led Satchel Paige, another iconic figure in our franchise. And four years later, in 1951, we had five men of color playing for the Cleveland Indians at a time when 10 franchises, 10 out of 16, had not integrated yet. Over the years, we have celebrated Larry Doby and what he has meant to this franchise in many different ways. We retired his number. He is in our Hall of Fame. The street out there is known as Larry Doby Way. The RBI kids here who play in the RBA program, it is known as the Larry Doby program. We had a scholarship for minority baseball players at Cleveland State. Playgrounds were built in this community named after Larry Doby. But today, we take a giant leap forward in our recognition and celebration of Larry Doby. Yes, it's a leap that maybe we're a little late, but I hope that the significance of what we do today and, 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 and going forward makes up for our tardiness. Mark, this is what upsets me, not just at this current administration that the Indians have, but in the past administrations that the Indians have, including Dick Jacobs, Nick Maletti, and the Stouffer brothers and everybody else that have owned the Indians throughout the years. Jackie Robinson is recognized in every major league ballpark with his number, 42, retired throughout the league. But the Indians, Mark, they put Jim Tomey ahead of Doby in the statue line in Cleveland because Tomey hit a bunch of home runs here before caving into union pressure to take a few more bucks to go play in his prime years in Philly and Chicago. Mark, Tomey wasn't even retired when the Indians erected a statue for him. He retired during the speech accepting the statue in his honor on August 2, 2012. Now, Doby hit a bunch of home runs for the Indians in an era where it was much more hard to hit them. He also helped the tribe win a World Series. Not just get to one, but win a World Series in 1948. What I'm embarrassed about, Mark, is that it took a public outcry to get the Indians to put up a Doby statue, only after the Tomey statue. And another thing that was embarrassing, Mark, and this has nothing to do with the Indians, Doby wasn't elected into the Hall of Fame by the writers. It took the Veterans Committee to put him in the Hall of Fame in 1998. Larry Doby is just not looked at in the same vein as Jackie Robinson. I'm not saying he should be, but he went through the same trials and tribulations that Robinson did in another league. And I'm, I'm embarrassed that the Indians erected a statue for Jim Tomey before Larry Doby, and that they had to succumb to public pressure just to get them to put up a, a statue for Larry Doby. You know, it's amazing how some organizations see something, they miss an opportunity thinking it's a responsibility. And had the Indians early on jumped on this, if, if, even if their heart's not in the right spot, just from a PR perspective, to have honored Chuck Harmon, or we'll get to him in a minute, honored Larry Doby in, in a way that was proactive, as you said, it would have it would really have been uh, something they could have bonded with the community over, especially the African-American community in Cleveland, but they didn't. They saw it as an obligation, we have to do this, rather than an opportunity to do it. And that's that's just stupid marketing. That's all that. That's marketing 101. Even if you want to look at it very 
uh, coldly. Uh, but, you know, there, baseball, he mentioned in his speech there were 10 players or 10 teams at the time that had not integrated. Well, the Reds, they were one of them. And the Reds uh, finally got Chuck Harmon. They signed him, I think, in 1955 or 56. It was in the mid-50s. But this was seven or eight years after Jackie Robinson. And Jackie Robinson got death threats every time he came in to play at Crosley Field. So it was a different world back then. You you were referring to the, the, the Negro term uh, early on in your description, but that's what it was. You know, he, he was a Negro player. That was the term they used. They didn't say African-American or black back in the day. They said Negro. And these guys came out of the Negro Leagues. And everything I've read, I read a great book about the Negro Leagues, as, as they were called, uh, back in the uh, you know 30s and 40s. They were as every bit as good or better than the, the, the New York Yankees. And no less players than Lou Gehrig and Babe Ruth and Joe DiMaggio and Ted Williams said that. They said, hey, those guys can play. And they 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 toured the world playing baseball, but the unbelievable amount of talent that we as baseball fans back in the day never saw because of that stupid, ridiculous rule that was never in the baseball codicils. It was all the GMs banded together, the 16 GMs that said, we're just not going to sign any of those black guys. That's That's what it was. Mark, Correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't it at Crosley Field where this whole thing took a turn for the better because Pee Wee Reese made it a point to go over to Jackie Robinson at first base, put his arm around him before the game, and let everybody see what he, that he was a teammate of his? Wasn't that at Crosley? Yeah, it was, and that was after he had received a written death threat that he was going to be shot. Jackie Robinson was. And uh, Cincinnati fans were yelling obscenities from the from the field and you know Pee Wee Reese was from Kentucky and he went over there and he befriended Jackie Robinson not just that day but as early as spring training because when, when Jackie Robinson signed in 1947 he came up he had he had gone to spring training and tore it up and everybody knew how great he was but they waited until you know the later in the year and he he was had they brought him up when he was 22, he clearly would have been one of the great players in history. They, they brought him up as an older man. And he, he only played 10 years in baseball, in Major League Baseball. And we saw him at the, the end of his career. But his signing was the harbinger of things to come with Willie Mays, who, who came up in 1951, and Hank Aaron, who came up in 1954, and other Ernie Banks, Frank Robinson, all these guys came up, and they're all Hall of Famers. Well, that's what was playing in Negro League baseball in the 30s and 40s. And that's what we missed as fans because a bunch of a cracker, you know, rednecks didn't want uh, black guys playing their game. Well, don't get me wrong. I don't think that Jim Tomey does not deserve a statue. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is is that if the Indians were that interested in putting up a statue to someone who had baseball history on his side, 
Larry Doby was the guy out of the two that deserved to have a statue put up in his honor before Jim Tomey did. And yes, it is true. Jim Tomey succumbed to pressure from the Union. He didn't want to leave the Indians. He had agreed to a contract with the Indians to stay, but Philadelphia offered him more money, and Donald Fear wanted him to take that contract with Philadelphia because it did pay him more money. Well, it's, it's going to be interesting. You're Johnny Cueto. Let's use him as an example. He is looking for $175 million. And like I said, what if he doesn't get it? Now, let's say he only gets $125 million. Only $125 million. Well, after you pay your agent and you pay taxes, uh, you might net $20 million over seven years. Well, you're already making $125 million. How much more do you need before... Not much. Before you say, I'm happy here. You know, at some point there'll be a player who says, you know, I don't want to leave San Diego. I don't care if I make an extra $30 million over 10 years. I don't care. I couldn't spend it anyway. I'm going to stay where my family is happy, our kids are in school, and this is going to be my, my place. This, this is it. That would be such a refreshing thing. And Johnny Cueto, just to put this in perspective, Johnny Cueto still lives with his mother in the same house in which he was born in the Dominican Republic. He's not a guy like Chapman. You know, Chapman goes out, and the first thing he does with his money, he buys a $250,000 Lamborghini, and then he goes out and wrecks that, and he buys a, um, a some other, you know, $150,000, $200,000 car. And that's not Cueto. And I just wonder, a guy like Cueto is a very sensitive guy. He's an intelligent guy. What's going to happen if he's unhappy in Kansas City? And, you know, Dave, what what happens is once you start moving from team to team, it becomes pretty easy. Look at Samarja. Samarja goes from the Cubs to the A's to back to Chicago to the White Sox, and now he's going to be traded again all within 24 months. That's true. But, you know, the funny thing is is that you just said that, that Johnny Cueto is from the Dominican Republic and he's a pretty intelligent guy. Don't say that to radio show host Colin Coward because he's no longer on ESPN and he's he was going to move from ESPN anyway to Fox Sports and continue his radio show, but that's even in question now following the comments that he made questioning the intelligence of Dominican Republic players last week. Here's what he had to say on his show about Dominican Republic players last Thursday. I mean, the Marlins put a general manager in their dugout. People freaked out. You know, like, whoa! It's baseball. You don't think a general manager can manage? Like, it's impossible? The game is too complex? Like, I've never bought into that baseball is just too complex. Really? A third of the sport is from the Dominican Republic. The Dominican Republic has not been known in my lifetime as having, you know, world-class academic abilities. I mean, a lot of those kids come from rough backgrounds and have not had opportunities academically that other kids from other countries have. Mark, is it much ado about nothing now that you hear that comment in its total context? Yeah, I think it is. I really do, because what I just heard is he's not saying they're stupid. He's saying they're uneducated. And there is a difference. Be, being ignorant of facts does not mean you're unintelligent. 
It means you just simply don't have the opportunity to go to school, to, to learn things, to take advantage of your innate intelligence. I don't see anything necessarily inaccurate about that. I mean, there are, there are certain countries where people are simply given access to education and they may not be any smarter or they may be actually dumber than people who don't have access to, to education who have higher IQs. There is a difference between uh, intelligence and education. Well, I agree with you. And the Players Union, Tony Allen, the head of the Players Union, and Dominican Republic players like Jose Bautista and Pedro Martinez, former player who was just inducted into the Hall of Fame yesterday, are ready to club coward over the head over these statements. They're they're ready to get into a fight with him over these statements. And you know, at first when I heard what he had said, I thought, "Wow, you know, this is something." And eventually, I was right. ESPN doesn't like to put up. They they like to have people that issue commentary that I call non-commentary, where it it sounds good to sit back and listen to it. But it's really a name stuff. It doesn't say anything. Coward actually said something that was thought-provoking and made sense. And if you listen to it in its total context, it made sense. If you just took out that little subject there and took it out of context, that Dominican Republic players aren't exactly the brightest people in the world, I'm taking that and just saying it subcontextually, it, it sounded inflamingly racist. But when you listen to it as a whole, it wasn't racist at all. No, I, I don't think I don't think he meant it as a racist statement. I, I think he meant it that you know a third world nation, whether it's Dominican Republic or, or the middle of Africa or wherever you want to go, they do not have the academic opportunities that uh, more developed nations have. Ergo, you could make the conclusion accurately that they're going to produce people who are less educated. Not because they're dumber, they're not. There's brilliant people over there. But you could have a, you know, it's like having a, a Ferrari with, with no gas in it. You could have a very, very intelligent person, but they don't get educated. Uh, you can't blame them for not knowing stuff. And I think that's what he was getting at. I, I didn't hear anything racist about that. But at the same time, given this world we live in, where everything you say is parsed and dissected, and there's always somebody getting offended. Uh, this oversensitivity, it, it's just idiotic. And cowards should know better. He shouldn't come up with statements like that that even would give somebody an opening. And that's what Absolutely. I don't understand. I mean, I, I don't think he said anything untoward. But, you know, and you're in that position, uh, <laughs> you have to understand uh, people are looking for a reason to jump down your throat. Well, this week, of course, the Reds tonight are playing St. Louis. The Indians are playing Kansas City. The Reds are playing St. Louis for the rest of the week, Tuesday and Wednesday, and then they've got Pittsburgh Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The Indians, on the other hand, have got Kansas City tonight through Wednesday afternoon, and then they head out west and play Oakland. Mark, before we leave tonight, uh, you've got a script reading coming up next week for the search for Dylan Michael. We do. It's going to be um, August 5th at Bellbrook High School in Bellbrook, Ohio. We have about 22 people that are going to be reading our script in front of a live audience. And those of you who would like to join us, go to lastatthatthemovie.com 
and you can get details for tickets and, and, and locations. So hope to see a lot of you out there. Okay, sounds good. Do you think the Reds will make another deal this week? I think they'll make three or four. And I don't think the Indians will make more than one, and that'll be David Murphy leaving the team. We'll talk to you again next Monday night, Mark. Have a good one. That's going to do it for us on this Monday evening. Don't forget the Ultimate Sports Talk Show coming up on Thursday night. That's at 7 o'clock. And then Mark and I will be back again next Monday night with another Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell, our producer, but most of all, our thanks to you for listening here this evening. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Good night, everybody. Kids have won it. Bobby Thompson has done it. And Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born. Marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball. Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey, and the Duke.